0: Last month, we had the opportunity to go up to North Carolina to see my in laws. And while we were there, my father in law, his name is Bill, gave us a gift. He gave us a Shibumi shade. Have you heard of a Shibumi shade? A Shibumi shade is a very lightweight shade. It's about four pounds. Uh, That's a beach shade, Uh, let me say that. And it takes about three minutes to set up, it has very little structure. It looks like a flag that you, with a basic structure, set up, and it provides shade for about six adults, okay? Uh, in their tag, it, it reads this. That's the description. It says that a Shibumi shade is a modern beach shade that works with the wind, not against the wind. You set it up towards the wind, and boom, you have a great shade. I was thinking about our lives in light of the Shibumi shade. Because many of us, and maybe you're watching this today, and you're feeling tired, you're feeling burned out, completely burned by life. And the reason why sometimes we're tired is because we spend all our time working to build a structure to provide us comfort, like, sh- like a shade, except that we set up these structures against the wind. The Apostle Paul here in this passage that we are about to read says that the secret to live a victorious life is to live a life in the wind. I I don't know if you knew this, but the word for wind in Greek is the word pneuma, which is the same word that the Apostle Paul uses to talk about the Spirit of God. Whenever you read in the Bible the Spirit of God. It's the pneuma of God. It's the wind of God. So today let's talk about what it means to lift life in the wind. I want to invite you to read Romans 8. We're going to read Romans 8 verses 1 through 11, and I'll refer to other parts of Romans 8 as we go through the sermon as well. So keep your Bible open as we uh, go through the, the, the passage together. This is what the Word of God says. Therefore. Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. This is the word of the Lord. So what does it mean to live life in the wind, in the power of the wind? It means three things. It means to live free. It means to live focused. And it means to live in power. If you learn to live your life in these three ways, free, focused, and in power, you'll know what it means to live life in the wind and therefore experience the victorious Christian life. First, live free. In verse 1, the Apostle Paul encourages Christians to remind themselves of that which Christ has done for them. Christ has Secured for them freedom from condemnation. Look at verse 1 again. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are a Christian, you know that when you received Christ, your sins were forgiven. When people turn their lives to Jesus and they receive Jesus, for that which he has done on their behalf, their sins are forgiven. The bill of debt against them has been now erased because Jesus on the cross has paid for their sin and through faith they have appropriated themselves of this gift, of this truth. Now, one of the things that sometimes we as new believers and even Season or experienced Christians, sometimes they forget, is that they think that they have been freed from past condemnation and not from present or future condemnation. What the Apostle Paul wants us to understand very clearly is that if you are now in Christ, if you have placed your life's trust in Christ, if you have believed that Christ is your substitute for the life you should have lived and the death you should have died, then All of your life, all of your life, your past, your present, and your future is free of condemnation. You now live a life free of condemnation. You have been set free by Jesus. Now, the problem is, sometimes we have heard this, but we live life sometimes as if we have forgotten this truth. And there's a problem when we forget this truth. You may have forgotten this truth, and that's the reason for some of the things that you're going through right now. What happens when we forget this basic truth that those who are in Christ are free of all condemnation? First thing that happens is that we begin to experience a life now that is governed by shame, right? Because you have not understood, you have not believed that all your sins have been covered, now there is this shame that you carry in your life. That maybe Jesus died for those sins, but not for these present sins. Maybe Jesus died for those sins that... uh, probably are easier to forgive than the sins that are hard to forgive for some of the bad, real bad things that I have done. See, when you don't believe that you have been completely forgiven, now you're living in shame. And here's what happens. Number one, you're living your life to cover up that shame. A lot of people's drivenness in life is because they're trying to cope with that sense of shame that they cannot shake off. It reminds me of uh, Lady Macbeth. I always quote Lady Macbeth. It's a story of uh, this woman that uh, ended up being jealous of this man, and her and her husband end up committing uh, murder and murdering that person. And Ever since she committed that murder, she lived with a sense of guilt and shame that she could not shake off. She always saw this stain in her hand that she would wash over and over and over again. And even though her hands were technically, technically clean, when she saw it through the eyes of her mind, she saw a stain in her hands that she would say, damn stain, get off, get off, get off. See, so much of people's resistance the criticism is because they don't believe in this truth and they are controlled by shame. So many of our addictions, so many of your addictions, have to do with the fact that you cannot shake off the shame that you carry because you do not believe that you have been set free from all condemnation in Jesus Christ. And on the other hand, what happens when you forget this truth? is that you now have a very shallow motivation to obey Jesus. Your obedience now to God is not centered on gratitude nor love for that which he has done for you, but it is centered on fear and it's centered on duty. And that's why you don't have a vibrant prayer life. That's why you don't have a prayer life that's characterized by consistency and power. That's why you don't have joy in the worship of God. It's because shame is still driving much of the good things that you are still doing. The gospel has set us free from all shame because there's no longer condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and now in verse 2, the Apostle Paul says this, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Now what's interesting about this passage, I don't know if you've uh, noticed this, is that the Apostle Paul is writing these words to Christians, the followers of Jesus that lived in the city of Rome. But they had gone away, that strayed away from the core of message of the gospel, and they had fallen into what many would say deeper matters of the spiritual life. And they had forgotten the gospel, and they had moved on to deeper things, but by moving on to deeper things, they had corrupted the message of the gospel. And it's therefore possible that not only irreligious people live lives under the power of of sin, but it's possible that religious people also may live life under the power of sin. You know, see, like an unregenerate person, we've been using this language for two weeks now, uh, which means it's a person who has not had their heart regenerated by the Spirit of God. It's a person that has not acknowledged the work of Christ and not received the grace of Christ in their lives. They are Controlled by sin, their heart is motivated by pride, as we preach in the very first sermon in this series. However, a religious person is also controlled by sin because he's controlled by the fear of what sin will bring in their life. So they're not focused necessarily on God and on the grace of God that they have received as a gift, but they're focused on their performance they're thinking, I cannot make a mistake, I cannot drop the ball, because if I do, God's going to punish me, he's going to stop answering my prayers, my life is going to go down the tubes. See, so many of us, like I said in the beginning of the sermon with that illustration, are living lives that are characterized by, uh, by being tired and, and, and by being burnt out. Why? Precisely because of that. Because even though our sin has been canceled, we are still living under the bondage of sin. We're not controlled by grace, but we're controlled by the law that Christ has uh, accomplished on our behalf to set us free. We're not living as free men and women. We are living as slaves. So that's what it means to live free. It's to understand and believe and apply this basic truth of the gospel to all of life. But then secondly, uh, you know, here's the second thing that that uh life in the wind means. It means to live focused. In verse 5, look at what the apostle Paul says in, in verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh, Set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. I'm going to read 6 too because it applies to what we're talking about here. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. The Apostle Paul encourages those believers and is encouraging us as well to focus, to set our minds on the things of God. Why? Why is he encouraging us to set our minds on the things of God? Focusing on the things of God. Actually, in the things of the Spirit, as he literally says here in these two verses. Because, as William Temple used to say, your religion is what you do in your solitude. See, what occupies your mind governs your life. You want to know who's in charge of your life? You want to know really what you are living for? Let me ask you this question. When you're by yourself, maybe at a red light, there's no music in the car, your mind is running. When you're going out on a run, you're trying to clear your mind. When you are In your bed, right before you go to sleep, and you have a few moments of solitude, what are the thoughts that control your mind? What is it that you can't stop thinking about? That which you cannot stop thinking about is really the Lord of your life. If before you go to sleep, all you think about is work, what you're going to do the next day and how much money you're going to make, guess what? You're controlled by work. Work is your religion. If you, when you're in a red light, you start gazing into space and, you know, you begin to have thoughts about how you look and your body and et cetera, guess what governs you? Your image. Whatever you set your mind to, whatever you're focusing on, whatever occupies your time And your thought life governs your life. That's what William Temple is saying here. And that's what the Apostle Paul is trying to get to here. What is governing your life? What's at the center of who you are? What is the ultimate object of all of your affections? If it's not the Spirit of God, if it's not the things Of the Spirit of God, as the Apostle Paul is saying here, you will not experience victory in life. You will end up committing all the things that you hate, like he talked about in chapter 7. The reason why you're not experiencing victory is because of that, it's because you are not focusing on the things of the Spirit. Now, obviously, you may be asking the follow up question Pastor, what does it mean? The focus on the things of the Spirit, to set my mind on the things of the Spirit. The Apostle Paul describes here what it means to set our minds in the things of the Spirit uh, from verses 14 through 26. And I'm going to point a few things. We're not going to read the whole passage, but let me show you a few things that he talks about here. The first thing of the Spirit, that we must focus on the first thing of the spirit that you must focus on is what he talks about here in verse 14 and 16 which is the new identity that the spirit of christ has given you the new identity that you have received look at what he says here in verse 14 go with me to verse 14 once again for all who are led by the spirit of god get this are sons of god now now, now let me work through this word sons of God here. It means that if, if you are uh, led by the Spirit, if you're being guided by the Spirit, that you are a son of God. And the Bible could have translated as children of God, but it would have lost some meaning. And maybe you heard me read this verse and you're saying, Well, the Bible just confirms all my suspicions, it's misogynistic, etc., etc. No. There's a meaning, there's a reason why it says sons of God and not children of God. Because in that culture, The firstborn son had the rights of all that belonged to the Father once the Father died. And what the Apostle Paul is saying here to both men and women who are believers in Jesus Christ is that if you are in Christ, you're like that firstborn son you're like that, that, uh, that son who is entitled to all of that which is the father's. You are fellow heirs in Christ. He talks about that towards the end of the chapter. That's why this word is significant. And what the Spirit wants you to focus on, which is something that you and I tend to forget, is that you are a son of God. You have the full rights of a son of God. You're a child of God, but you have the full rights of a son of god because of jesus christ and the most amazing thing is that most of us instead of living like children of god with the full rights of all that is of the father we live life as orphans what's the difference between an orphan and a child an orphan is an insecure human being day after day at that orphanage not sure of his paternity. Some of them don't even know their biological parents, but they're hoping to be adopted. And so, you know, the day that the families come in to pick a child to take home with them, you know, they, 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 they put their best foot forward and, and you know, they're, they're, they're expectant and and they're saying on the inside, pick me, pick me, pick me. They're unsure of their paternity. There's a lot of Christians that forget the gospel, this good news of the gospel, that you have been made a child of God by that which Jesus Christ has done. And therefore, you're no longer living as a child, but you're living as an orphan. And your identity is uh, meshed in with a bunch of things of this world instead of that which the Spirit is bringing to light. You're you're believing in the lies about your own identity. You know, Henry Nouwen used to talk about the five lies that we believe about our identity, that we are, number one, what we have, number two, that we are what we do. Number three, that we are what other people say or think of us and that we are defined by our worst moment and that we are defined by our best moments in life. And I want to tell you, if you are in Christ, listen, you are not what you have. You are not what you do. You are not what people think or say about you. You are not defined By your worst moments, you're not defined by your failures, and you're not defined by your accomplishments either. Your identity is rooted in that which Jesus Christ has done for you. You are beloved child of God, and you must not forget that. Every day, your thought life must be consumed by that truth, by that reality that you have been adopted into the family of God. That's what the Spirit is doing. That's why in verse 16, he says this. Look at what he says in verse 16 now. The Spirit himself bear witness with our spirit that we are children of God. That's what the Spirit of God is trying to do in your life. That's how the Spirit is trying to fill you. Think about what it means to be filled by the Spirit. Think about what it means to live a life in the power of the Spirit. It's to fully live your life based out of this identity, that the Spirit is trying to remind you every day while you're trying to build your identity around other things, the Spirit says, no, 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 no. This is your identity. You're not, you are this. You're not that. You are this. You are a beloved child of God. Focus on that new identity. That is one of the things that it means to focus on things of the Spirit. Secondly, It's to focus on this newfound grace that you have experienced. Look at what he said in in verse 15. He says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. What is he saying? He's saying the reason why you have been made a child of God through faith in Jesus, it was not because of your performance, it had nothing to do with anything that you did or said, any choices that you have made. It was given to you by grace to set you free from where you were before, a life that was governed by fear, because that's what both uh, a life that's characterized by irreligion and religion produces, a life that's governed by fear. And he says, no, you have been welcomed into the family of God and it has nothing to do with your performance do with the performance of jesus jesus did what was necessary so that you could be adopted into the family of god you have received this new grace your relationship with this father now is characterized by mercy by love right god is 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 no longer to be seen by you as a boss that grades you or raises your salary based on your performance treats you nicer Uh, the better you perform. No, not at all. God is now a father who you have full access to and that is grace. And that is the Here's the third thing uh, of what it means to focus on the things of the Spirit, not just on your new identity, not just on your newfound grace, but uh, on this new trust that you should now have in this God that has extended grace to you. In verse 26, because of all the previous truths that are things of the Spirit, he says here in verse 26, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. See, because the Spirit is reminding you of this basic, basic truth that you are now a child of God, that you are co-heir with Christ, because the Spirit is reminding you of grace, that you have been forgiven. You know, your mind goes, "I God cannot... Forgive me for that. The Spirit comes in, into our lives and reminds us, hey, you have been forgiven. There's no more condemnation if you are, in fact, in Christ Jesus. And the Spirit now does an, the extra work, which is to maintain, to help maintain our communion with God. See, because of what Jesus Christ has done, we have now been brought into the family of God, which means that we have been reconciled to God. And now we, were, we are no longer enemies, but we're now family and friends and we live life with God. That's what it means to have a relationship with God, right? Is to uh, see God as a father and, and, and to believe that you are a child of this father. It's to live life with him. And the spirit uh, works in promoting an even tighter connection and fellowship with God. How? By even helping us as we pray. You know, our prayers to the all-knowing, all-powerful, all-holy God, you know, comes up, if it were come up to him the way they, that, that they are, unfiltered, there's, there's a lot of silliness in, in, in the way we're trying to approach and converse with God. But what this text tells us and reminds us is that the Spirit interprets our prayers and goes down to our longings, which is... That's what he talks about groanings, right? It goes to our longings, which is our desire to be satisfied ultimately in God, to find comfort and hope and peace and forgiveness in him. The Spirit goes to the intention. doesn't go to our words, but goes to the intention of our prayers and interprets our prayers so that now we have confidence when we pray and we have humility when we pray as well. See, that's what it means to focus on the things of God. And when you do, it completely transforms you. Even when you mess up, even when you drop the ball, even when you sin, there's now a new reality by which you're able to see everything in a way that you were not able to see before. John Owen, one of the English Puritans, in his work, Mortification of Sin, he writes uh, a prayer of a true gospel-believing Christian after he sins. This is how it should be. This is what you should say after you sin if you, in fact, have been focusing on the things of the Spirit. He, the prayer goes like this. What have I done What love, mercy, what blood, what grace have I despised and trampled on? Is this the return I make to the Father for His love, to the Son for His blood, to the Spirit for His grace? Do I thus requite the Lord? Have I defiled the heart that Christ died to wash? What can I say to the dear Lord Jesus? Do I give little value to communion with Him? Should I endeavor to disappoint the very purpose of the death of Christ? Have you paid attention to this prayer? It's very different from most religious people's prayers after they sin. There's a God, please don't punish me. Don't crush my life right now. All right? First of all, when a religious person sins, they feel inadequate to pray to God. They don't even want to pray. They don't even want to talk to God. What they want to do is hide, just like Adam did in the garden, and cover up with fig leaves. That's what we want to do. We hide and we cover up with good works. That's what we do. That's what religious people do. That's what people that are not focusing on the things of the Spirit do when they sin, when they drop the ball, when they mess up. Because, again, their spiritual life is characterized by fear and duty. That's the motivational force behind it. And that's why they feel tired and that's why they feel burned out because no one can keep up with that type of performance. But when you understand the gospel and when you sin, your heart goes back to the grace of God and the truths that the Spirit of God has been reminding you all along. And now it's not, hey, I'm afraid, please don't punish me, please don't crush me if if you, if you in fact actually pray. But it's like, why did I do this? Why am I not grateful for the God who has redeemed and saved me? See, it's devoid of fear. It's devoid of guilt. It's a prayer that someone that has truly experienced the gospel, who's experiencing victory in life. That's what their lives and their prayers look like. It doesn't mean that if you, you know, are dropping the ball, sinning here and there, that you're not growing spiritually. People that are growing spiritually are people that continue to sin, but they have an active life, not just of sin, but repentance. (laughs) And this is what John Owen is talking about here. They understand that they have not just broken the law, right, but they have broken the heart of their beloved father. And so when they sin, they're not hiding from the Father, but they're looking for the Father, for grace, for mercy, for forgiveness. Living life in the wind means living focused on these things, but it also means living in power. I was thinking about this, and in, in, in light of how you know, I'm trying to get you guys to imagine this reality of the Spirit being wind. So, so think about this: If if our lives is an ocean, and um, sorry, if the world is an ocean, if our lives are these vessels in the ocean, and the Spirit of God is the wind, the gospel, the good news of the gospel, are the sails. Now, the problem is this, that there are a lot of Christians that have all these things, that they're in that context, the ocean. Their lives are a vessel. The Spirit is the wind that's blowing, but they don't have any sails, so they're still stuck. (laughs) They're stuck, not going anywhere. And what the gospel allows us to experience is when you raise those gospel sails in your life, the Spirit of God is able to blow on it and move you forward. See, what, what moves you forward in the Christian life, we talked about it last week and in the week before, every week, hopefully by the end of the series, you'll get this, right? What moves you forward is not your performance. It's not your willpower. It's the power of the Spirit. And all you must do is believe. And that, that, that belief is like raising the sail so that the wind can blow. How do you do that? The Apostle Paul explains What does it mean to believe the gospel and how that works in verses 10 and 11? Uh, The first thing that that he talks about in in verse uh, 10 is this idea of Christ in us. Look at what he says. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If you're familiar with Paul's writings, um, he says something here in verse 10 that's different than what he says, for instance, in the book of Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians 1, he talks about us being in Christ. And here he talks about Christ being in us. Are those the same? Is he just saying the same thing in two different ways? No. See, to be in Christ means that now, because of Jesus, God sees you as he sees Christ. Positionally before God, if you have um, accepted Jesus as your substitute, uh, God sees you with the perfection of Jesus. He looks at you through the lens of Jesus. The same love and approval that the God of the universe has for his son, now he has for you because you are in Christ. That will never change. Nothing you do will change that because now you have been in Christ now the problem is this that even though that is our positional reality before God many of us don't live life understanding this reality we have failed many of us have failed to step into this new identity they don't live as if God saw them as a beloved child they're living as orphans remember and what Paul is saying is, here's the power. It's Christ in you. It means you stepping in this identity and owning who you have been made with in Christ. The minute that happens in your life, you're beginning to raise that sail so that the Spirit of God begins to blow. But here's the second reality that he talks about in verse 11. He says, if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. To me, this is one of the most extraordinary verses in the Bible because this verse says that the same spirit that visited Jesus in that grave, Jesus died on a Friday, his body was placed on a grave that was owned by Joseph, Uh, That Friday night, it stayed all day Saturday in that grave. But very early that Sunday morning, what we call Easter Sunday, okay, the Spirit of God went into that grave and revived and resurrected the body of Jesus. His body was now alive, but it was now an incorruptible, body, no longer subject to decay. And the Apostle Paul is saying, look, think about this. The same spirit that entered that grave in its power to resurrect Jesus, that spirit lives inside of you. And in the same way that Jesus was resurrected by that spirit, you will be resurrected as well. In fact, if you are in Jesus, you have already been spiritually resurrected. And one day, even your physical bodies will also be resurrected. In between the now and the not yet, you are called to live a life of power in the wind, powered by the Spirit. And the saddest thing in many of our lives is that we have forfeited this power and we have exchanged this power, not only for our own power, but the power of things of this world. And my call to you today is, is that you would raise these sails by knowing that Christ is in you and that the spirit of Christ is at work in you. Will you do that today? And you would, would you allow the Spirit to blow on your sails and move you forward into the future, which is a beautiful future that God has in store for you. Let's raise the sails today and live life in the wind. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we are grateful for that which Jesus Christ has done. And Father, today we want to raise our banner we want to raise our sails. And by that we mean we want to believe truly in the fact that Christ is in us and that the Spirit is in us as well. And Father, this is the ultimate understanding of what it means to be touched by you. Your wind in our sails, Spirit in us, blowing In us, moving us forward. Father, allow us to experience this life of power in Jesus. A life of freedom, a life of focus, and a life of power. In Jesus' name, Amen. God bless you this Sunday.